0: From the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's
1: the X's and Argos podcast.
0: Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by something in the water brewing. Ben Grant joined as always by JB as we get you set for the East Division final and a matchup between the Montreal Alouettes and the Toronto Argonauts. JB, this is a a huge game, obviously. It's the game we've been waiting for for weeks and weeks and weeks. It's finally here, and you listening to this podcast, if you are planning on going to the game, even if you're not, why don't you meet us down at something in the water brewing. They're going to be going with their pregame tailgate from noon till three o'clock, Uh, All sorts of stuff going on from giveaways to barbecues. Of course, there's great award-winning beer, including Longboat Pale Ale, the beer made for fans of the Double Blue. It's in Liberty Village, just steps from BMO Field. Head down to Something in the Water first. Uh, We'll be checking in there and uh, grabbing a bite to eat, of course, as well, and then head down to the stadium too. So yeah, come and see us. Uh, We'd love to see you there. It's Something in the Water Brewing in Liberty Village uh, pregame, noon to three, right before kickoff. JB, we've got a lot to talk about today. There's, in our news and notes section, we've got the CFL All-Stars and the Argos putting up great numbers there. That's no surprise. We've got a halftime show event to talk about. We've got an injury report to go through and some really good news, but some tough decisions looming with the injury report. Then we'll get into our game preview, OCDC, one thing, predictions, and our CFL picks. All that more coming up on this episode of the Exes and Argos podcast. Okay. All-stars, JB. So you go from 14 division all-stars to eight CFL all-stars. That's a huge number. And it should be. Anyone that's looking at this all-Star, let's just say, there's too many Argonauts. This was a 16-2 and two team. And I've seen that on social media already today with like, there's too many Argonauts. This doesn't make sense. 16-2, and two, that should be reflective of that. This isn't, and, and people are bringing up the they haven't won a Grey Cup. Yes, this has nothing to do with that. These All-Stars are based on the season of play. And Toronto, if, if anything, I think have an argument for a few more, but pretty nice representation. of most All-Stars that they've had since the 1997 team, which is is pretty fantastic. So really nice to see these guys getting honored. Let's just go through them quickly. Uh, any surprise at quarterback Chad Kelly winning over Zach Calaris? It makes sense to me, but how do you see that one?
1: Um, no, I, I think once Winnipeg didn't nominate him as their MVP, that probably settled the, the argument. Um, it, it's a little surprising. I think Statistically, Klairs probably gets a little bit of the edge, but I I do think that, you know, him, you know, uh, Kelly being an all-star and Klairs not, I think that that sort of settled it.
0: How, how much, like, how big is this that this is Chad Kelly's first year playing, basically? He had a a game and a half last season, and then he comes out and he's the, he's the CFL all-star QB. It says a lot about his ability
1: it does. i'm I'm sure that, um, yeah, I mean, it does. It really speaks to how how impressive this season was, especially having five or six games that didn't really matter, and he's still able to to be that. I mean, he he has had a, a fantastic season as a first year quarterback. I mean, not a rookie, but as a first year starter, it's unbelievable. I think people people forget that. and uh, that 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 just adds to how impressive it is.
0: Brady Oliveira got the nod at running back uh, over AJ olette I think th- that makes sense. Uh, as great as olette has been, Oliveira had a historic season. Uh, he he was he was unstoppable, and he's still in the conversation for the CFL awards. Obviously, as as most outstanding player. And so that seemed like it was going to happen. Receivers, Toronto was shut out there. Any surprise that Toronto didn't have any receivers go through to this stage? You had DeMonte Coxy, Devaris Daniels, but neither of them make it to the top five here. It's shown Tim White, uh, Hatcher, Austin Mack, Reggie Bagleton.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, not really. I think that those are guys that are, you know, the Montreal or the, the Toronto wide receiver group is more a unit and sort of come at you from different angles and different guys pop every day. So as a unit, is more impressive. They don't sort of have the standout ridiculous games as some of those other guys do. But, you know, I don't know, like Tim White, where was Tim White last week? So, <laughs> yeah, I know, there's a lot of people know. asking that question. Yeah, so like, yeah, would I take Devaris Daniels over Tim White? Yeah, I would. But, you know, did Tim White have the occasional huger game or Begleton? I mean, Begleton basically won that position based on the Toronto game.
0: <laughs> he, he, was, right? I think like he was on a third, fire in a, I that think a game. Third
1: of his season statistics <laughs> came from that one game. So, you know, yeah, I, I think that's fine. I, I neither one was necessarily like a jump out all star, but you know, I think I think getting the Eastern nod was was enough for both.
0: Yeah, I think it's tough to put, like you look at the stats and at the end of the day, it does kind of come down to stats in a lot of these cases, especially at the receiver position, where I think that's really easy for people to quantify and look at receivers. Well, how many yards, how many touchdowns? And it, Shone and Hatcher, you can't argue with at all. Tim White, Austin Mack, that really it isn't up for debate. And yeah, Bagleton went out and did his thing uh, in chunks, but he got it done at the end of the day. Uh, now, where they didn't, uh, come through in the receiver room for CFL All-Stars. They did on the offensive line. Three of the five offensive linemen are Toronto Argonauts. Center, Darius Siraco, guard, Ryan Hunter, and tackle, Deshaun Allen. And they're uh, complemented with two Winnipeg Blue Bombers, uh, Pat Newfeld and, and Jamarcus Hardrick, uh, rounding out that offensive line. I think it's pretty telling that the Blue Bombers and the Argos make up the whole offensive line. We've, we've talked about that being the most important positional group outside of quarterback in, in football, regardless of the style of football you play, and I, I think it makes sense that you've got blue bombers and argonauts uh, leading the way in the all-star room for for the offensive line.
1: Yeah, and anybody who knows football knows that you're, you know the quality of a team is is immediately uh, measurable by how good their offensive line is, and it is not coincidence that the two best teams have what people see as the best linemen I mean those are those are uh, connected facts
0: does it hurt Chad Kelly at all that three of his five linemen are all-stars I mean that in the way that people can sort of look at his season and say well yeah he had a great season but he had the best offensive line in the league so it's a much easier job than what other quarterbacks are having to deal with
1: yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think you know people say that it's like the coach of the year. Like, oh well, he had a good quarterback. It's like, yeah, I mean these these are things that go together, you know. It, it's like often often the best quarterback does
0: have a good offensive line, but you know that, that that's all part of it. On defense, uh, maybe a bit of a surprise. I it, it, it seems surprising on the whole, but I don't know that it's wrong. The Toronto Argonauts didn't have a single defensive lineman voted an all-star. and The reason I think that's interesting is that I think they might have the best defensive line in the CFL. And yet, much like the receiver room, it's sort of a committee thing where you've got so many guys that have to be dealt with one-on-one and opposing offensive lines that just aren't able to do that. But it's their collective nature that makes them so dangerous. And when you look at the guys that are in, like Matthew Betts and and Willie Jefferson, Mike Rose, Casey Sales. Those guys had great seasons. And, and I think, if anything, it's probably Mustafa Johnson that's, that's upset he's not on there for Montreal. But um, for the Argos, I, I thought Flo Remoulade had a chance at, at that because I thought, I thought he was so dangerous. But not having the numbers pile up down the stretch when the games didn't matter, I think maybe hurt him there. But I, I'm OK with this defensive line not getting recognized here because I, I think they might take that personally. And they may take that out on Montreal on Saturday.
1: Well, I mean, if you look at, um, you know, Toronto led the league in opposition rush yards, like the lowest number of rush yards, uh, the lowest average uh, achieving on first down and the most sacks. So, you know, if you're looking for metrics of whether your defensive line is a lead or not, um, I think you're going to look to sacks and you're going to look to rush uh, defense and first down defense. And they led the league in all three categories. Um, They didn't stack sacks for any individual guy which is definitely what people are looking for in that um and oakman had a couple of games out because of you know some of the cfl math but you know i think i think if you look at you look at Hendricks and oakman uh and brinkman and robbie smith i mean like that that line you wouldn't trade for anybody so I think it's fine. And I think they probably are okay with that, like kind of no name, uh, group, you know, like, you know, basically like my, my Toronto sack exchange, you know, they, they are a unit and a machine rather than, you know, one show, you know, one group or like bets gets name called by the announcer 15 times a game, you know,
0: that that's not what they are. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that they're a bit nameless to be honest. And like you said, like Brendan Barlow is still second on the team in sacks too. And and he's the guy that gets forgotten about. It's like Tommy Costigan, Like you've got so many. Yeah,
1: exactly. Costigan had a three or four game run there where he was fantastic.
0: The second unit you could bring in and feel perfectly comfortable. You could could sit down if you needed to. And remember there are a couple games where Toronto dressed eight, one where they dressed nine. But if you needed to sit um, to, to sit Flo and and Hendricks and Oakman and Robbie Smith, right. you sit exactly. those guys I, down I bet if and you, be if fine. If you ask
1: them, I bet you they are happy to be anonymous and be a unit. They know what they do.
0: They they do. Uh, they do know what they do, and I I do think you're going to see a very not that they're not motivated, but just guy, guys are fired up this is we'll get to this when we talk about the game report but everything coming out of practice all week long has been about how guys just can't wait this is a um i don't know a caged animal sort of situation like they have been waiting for this game for what two months now <laughs> since <laughs> yeah. yeah september 15th yeah. they've been waiting for this game and it is now uh, upon us, and uh, they are going to come flying out. And a defensive line this good that did not get a single All Star, you can bet they're going to come out and try and make a statement. I, I think I think we may see I think we may see more than a handful of sacks on Saturday, um, and and I think there's some targets for them on the offensive line. We'll get into that more when we get to the injury report and the game preview. But yeah, that's. Um, that's one that I thought was interesting that they were left out. Uh, linebacker was well represented by Toronto. Went to McManus uh, joins uh, Mika Awe in the linebackers and Darius Pickett as the cover linebacker. I thought Cameron Judge might have, because they don't differentiate it by, uh, positionally by linebacker except for the cover linebacker. But the other two guys, I think in theory, could both be uh, Wills the way they set that up. And even it's so interchangeable the way the Argos run it, like Wyndham McManus is a Will, but he, he's not really. He played probably more Mac um positionally this year than he did Will. Um, But yeah, those two guys, it makes sense. Um, I do feel like Cameron Judge had...
1: Argo legend. Argo legend. Cameron Argo Judge, legend.
0: Cameron Judge uh, had almost as, <laughs> as good a season as McManus. And I think he was more valuable than Alway on the Stampeders. But... You know, there's there are all sorts of holes in all-star teams. Adarius Pickett as the cover linebacker, Pickett and McManus uh, all season long. Those are the two best players on the Argos defense. I don't really think we can argue that except for early Robertson Daniel, maybe. But I think just by the positions they play, uh, those two guys, they had to be on this all-star team. Like There would have been a serious flaw if either one of those guys didn't make this all-star team let's take a look at the secondary. And here's, okay, this is, this is an interesting one too. So Robertson Daniel makes it as an all-star, uh, which I was so happy to see because he was injured through, obviously through no fault of his own. Uh, we thought the season might be done for him to only get through, I he play through 11 games, I think, and end up as an all-star, I think speaks to the season he was having when Robertson Daniel was injured. He was the best player in the CFL to that point in the season. He was playing lights-out football, multiple interception games. He was everywhere, but he was also a coach on the field. He was a guy that was helping out with the evolution of Qantas Diggers and his development. Uh, he was you know, working that secondary so that they were a, a functioning unit, a machine. And he and Pickett played off each other so beautifully. And so to see him get the nod made me really happy. No other Argos in the secondary ended up getting that all-star nod. And the reason I think that's interesting is, is there any starting defensive or starting member of the Toronto secondary? If I had said, this guy's an all-star, would you have found it surprising? Like if I had said Royce Meche is an all-star or uh, Jamal Peters or Tavares McFadden, none of those guys would have surprised you?
1: No, I think all have played at an all-star level at different points this season.
0: Yeah. And McFadden is um, his switch from corner to halfback. Remember, even Mason Pierce, like Mason Pierce is probably playing the best of anybody on the Argos defense over the last like seven games. Yeah.
1: I mean, if Mason Pierce gets three more games, I think he's an all-star.
0: He is. Yeah. If he just had a few more games or earlier in the season or something, man, he played well. And, And we'll get into a discussion when we get to the injury report as to what do you do now Robertson Daniel out practicing. How does that impact the secondary that has been phenomenal uh, across the board? And we were so concerned to lose the Sean Amos and Robertson Daniel and Mason Pierce uh, steps up and Tavares McFadden moves inside and they don't miss a beat and in fact, I- improve their numbers in some ways too. So the rest of them, they don't get acknowledgement. Robertson Daniel does. Um, again, that's going to be a motivated positional group too. Uh, how do you feel about Boris Beattie not being kicker or punter for this all-star team. Javon Leak <laughs> is the special teams player, the yeah. returner. But yeah, Sean White is the kicker. Richie Leone, who I thought was the fourth best punter in the East. And Leone's a good punter, but I thought Montreal's punter was better. And both Argos punters were better. Like Beattie, Beattie and Haggerty led the league in in punting. And so I, I, I can't believe Boris Beattie is not an all-star with the season he had as a special teams ace leading the league in kickoffs, leading the league in field goal percentage, second in the league in, in punt net um, or punt average right behind his own teammate. And only because of that last game when Haggerty put up some monster bombs to pass Boris Beattie, uh, how is he not an all-star?
1: No, it's outrageous. Uh, I mean, obviously my Sean White feelings were, <laughs> were captured uh, last time. In terms of where where I thought he he might rank no I think you can't you can't separate the two you know it, it's if if you have somebody who does both incredibly well that has to be seen as as an advantage you know like if, if they can't be looked at as independent of each other and uh you know I'm sure they wanted to throw Ottawa bone and so you know they they made their punter so congratulations
0: Ottawa. Yeah, and I think that is Ottawa's only All Star. I, well, I think at least that it was, is.
1: They were probably rewarding them for not nominating a long snapper.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's and it's pretty heavy. Like it is, it is heavy. Toronto, Winnipeg, uh, like yeah. even BC, as good a team as they are, they don't have a lot of representation in this in this All Star team. Considering how good a team I think they are, Saskatchewan got nobody um, as an All Star, which I'm not even sure is is wrong, but. It's just, it's a really, that's what happens when you have so many guys from from two teams. Obviously, you're going to have other teams shut out, but yeah, it's it's weird in a nine-team league to have one team with nobody and another team with just a punter. Uh, it's, it sort of speaks to uh, how dominant uh, Toronto and uh, to a s- only slightly lesser extent Winnipeg have been.
1: Yeah, and I think that also happens too, obviously. Like, you know, like, these things are... You know, there's obviously a symbiotic relationship where, you know, it's not that there are not great defensive linemen on Ottawa. It's just they're in positions, whether it be by score or by field position, where they're kind of held back. And and generally speaking, you know, if your team is not that good, you're just not viewed individually in the same way. So, you know, you don't tend to have like five all-stars off a team that won four games. but. You know so there is there is a kind of light to like a lens that teams that win a lot sometimes get a few more guys where like i think if you if you went through you know edmonton and ottawa um th- there's more talent there than you would think in terms of the the lack of all-stars
0: and as you said that i'm just thinking was there i don't know if there was an edmonton all-star either <laughs> that's so no. Yeah. Which which
1: is, you know, I mean, obviously there are very good players on that Edmonton team, but I think from a a league point of view, they're just not going to reward that level of, uh, that level of, uh, incompetency, franchise incompetency.
0: So there's a halftime show, The Trues. This is a pretty big get. Uh, I'm, I was already, Excited about all the things that the league had done in terms of getting talent ready for the Grey Cup, from Carrie Underwood to Green Day. I know BC's done a great job bringing in talent over the last couple of years uh, for home openers and and the like. And now the Trues are coming to BMO Field. JB, tell me about the Trues. This is a this is a this is a, a pretty big band, a pretty big signing. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean you know they're a maritime band and they've been you know they've been playing across the country for for quite a while now um you know doing the university uh, circuit and uh you know they play aor rock and uh, i think people uh, you know like i've i enjoy the truths and i'm, I'm it's nice to see a, a, a band from nova scotia do well i know i think they're based out of hamilton these days um and uh yeah it's great to see it's, it's, it's a nice little gig i love seeing a canadian artist at halftime uh, hamilton <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, so I'm all
0: for it. And they'll be performing a, an acoustic version of Highway of Heroes as part of the, the Remembrance Day ceremony pregame. And then they'll be performing at halftime, of course, as well. So yeah, that's going to be great, if you, if you haven't got your tickets yet to the East final and are on the fence about it. Maybe the trues are what put you over the top, or maybe the fact that in that same announcement, we found out that over 23,000 tickets have been sold, and I think it's probably more than that now, it a few days ago, and the first 10,000 fans through the gate are getting an Argos tote bag, so even more reason to come down if it weren't for the game itself, which is, I think, gonna be spectacular. All right, let's get into this injury report, JB. We've got some uh, controversial decisions to make, maybe. So the injury report for the, these injury reports at this time of year are a, a, little bit of a, a little bit of a mess because you've got so many guys on here that are listed because everyone's like come off the sixth game, et cetera. Um, and so it's a very long list, especially for the Argos because they had so many healthy scratches last game. So you see guys on the list like, Demonte Coxie, who is, is fine, but he appears on the injury report because he was scratched last game so that they could get all these players rest. Same thing with Dwayne Hendricks, Torres McFadden, McManus, uh, A.J. Olette. Uh, so really what jumps out at me amongst all these names. So Dan Baboye hasn't been able to practice yesterday or today. Uh, and I, I don't think it looks like he's, he's going to be able to go. And so th- let's start there. With your backfield, knowing that Ataba Boye is not going to play, you've got Andrew Harris, who is now healthy, and he has practiced full the last couple of days. You've got AJ Olette, obviously. You've got Javon League, who you're going to have out there for special teams. JB, do you stop there? Do you just dress three running backs? I, I say just dress. Like, most teams that's in the league will dress two or three anyway, but Toronto's been dressing four a lot. Do you dress uh, Deontay McMahon? Or do you stack up somewhere else, maybe dress an extra O-lineman or D-lineman and go with three running backs? Because I think if it were Adebayo, if he were healthy, I think you would for sure dress all four. I'm not sure you do with him out.
1: Uh, that's uh, Yeah, I, I I do think it's important never to overthink things. I think if you if you go with something all season, I think you keep doing that. Obviously, you make adjustments for the playoffs, but... I do think there's a danger in in trying to overthink or trying to to kind of I don't say be too clever, but you just kind of like you try, you think of like, well, this will work or that'll work. I think you go with what has worked. I think um, I would I would dress McMahon. I think McMahon gives you looks that the other two guys don't. I still think he's useful for five or six screens a game. Um, you know, I I think Bladeck should get dressed. So, do you steal from the defensive line? Like, does Bladeck take McMahon's spot? I could I could live with that. Um, let's, if that's if that's the case.
0: So let's get into that next part, and that's Darius Bladek going full both yesterday and today, and he's like preseason. We thought it was sort of uh, between he, Allen, and Hunter. Is like who's the best lineman on this on this team? Darius Bladeck is a fantastic guard. There's no spot for him right now. Peter Nicastro has been playing amazing all season long. Ryan Hunter, amazing all season long. You cannot pull either one of those guys for Bladeck, even though Bladeck may be better. He may be, but he hasn't played all season long. There's no way that you can go and start Bladeck, right?
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: I don't. Right? I don't. I feel like that Anakin Skywalker look. meme, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I I don't think so. Um, but that rule does not always apply. Um, I think when you have a starter who is getting great reps at practice and is a veteran starter, I think you can plug and play guys like that. Um, so I I I would be okay, but I I, I don't think so. I think you. My preference would probably be keep him as uh, as a as a backup and see how the game goes, put him in on some specials, give guys some breaks on some specials and then potentially start him in the Great Cup. That that seems to me to be the better decision. But I mean if you look at practice and a guy's dominating practice and he you know, he knows what he's doing. This is a veteran, this is not somebody you just signed from the XFL. You know, if if he is dominating a practice and is an upgrade then, you know, it's meritocracy. I think you plug him in. But the, the offensive line, I think, has earned a chance to start as they are. So I guess, you know, not to be too on the fence on it. I, I would say no. But if they do, I don't think it's a mistake.
0: Yeah, I I can't see any way that you start him. Even in the Grey Cup, Like as, as long as nobody is, is hurt and Toronto wins this game, if they go on to the Grey Cup, I still think... You go with like Hunter and Nicastro because I, I just don't know where else you'd put him. And I do think Nicastro is, but the whole line is playing really well. I don't think you want to shake any of that up. They they gave they gave up a league low in sacks by like 30 yeah. sacks. Like no, you I think, just don't want to mess with it.
1: It's amazing to be able to have him on specials and have him as a backup. I mean, what a
0: what a luxury. Yeah,
1: yeah, what a luxury. I, I, I dress him. I do dress him for sure.
0: I do too. And the reason for that even more so is that you don't know. Like suppose suppose something happens. Like third play of the game, and now uh, you have to put somebody in uh, for for the yeah, offensive no, line. I, it's fantastic. Yeah, and we've seen that Hunter is the first guy to move. Like when something happened to when I think it was Isaiah Cage that went down or John Allen went down. Someone went down, and Hunter moved over to tackle. And so, wouldn't you love to have bladek come in uh, at guard at that spot? So he, in my mind, he has to dress. And uh, and I think, obviously, Harris, I think he has to address too. Um, the third one that I think is a really tough decision is, what do you do about Robertson Daniel? Full yesterday and today, as we said earlier in the pod, was probably the best defensive player in the CFL at the time that he got injured. What do you do? This unit, has, you can't take out Mason Pierce, you can't take out Tavares McFadden, you dress him? Is it the same thing as Bledek? You dress him and, and, you know, see how he goes?
1: Um. Yeah, I think you do. Again, I, I think you do. I think if, if guys are 100% healthy and, and you know, you have veterans who know the system and they're 100% healthy, I think you have to start your best. I think your your starting lineup has to be the best athletes you have and you go from there. You don't worry about positional stuff. You start the best athletes you have and you figure it out from there. And, and so if you need to, if you need to bench one of the DBs, um, to bring in Daniel, uh, I, I would, if he's a hundred percent, a hundred percent healthy, I dress him.
0: And I would question whether or not he is a hundred, like going full doesn't mean you're a hundred. That was a tough injury. Uh, and you know, you know he's he's been working with a brace, obviously, and you you're probably thinking yeah, about it a con- little I mean, bit. Yeah, I think
1: like, that's the concern. The concern is if you put him out there and he goes five snaps and then he's out. You know, now now you're playing basically a roster man down. Yeah, so and I it's also
0: like up here too, like mentally, like after an injury like that. Yeah, you have how to, you are have you managing?
1: Feel like from a coaching perspective, you see reps and you don't see any, you know, any hesitancy or any reaction time issues. I think you dress them if you do i think you give it another week and it's you know it's a new conversation for the greco i would i would be surprised if he dressed my guess would be they would wait one more week with him but we'll see
0: and then the last one which was uh i think the only piece of uh unexpected bad news here is that curly gittins jr uh, is not able to go yesterday or today and I think that's that's going to be it it looked like such an innocent injury when it happened it was the the first game of the back-to-back games against Montreal he injured his hip he reacted um to it immediately but it just when you looked at like how did you get hurt it just didn't look like the kind of injury
1: those hip injuries are really weird I know James White had one basically ended his career for New England you know he just was tackled out of bounds and you know and you're like okay and he kind of got up a little gimpy and then that was it you know he just had that, uh, you know, that, that hip injury, and just was on it is, It's one that definitely seems to be really, really serious. They have not yet really figured out how to rehab it, you know, um, so I, I'm not surprised from, you know, from, from when I've seen that
0: let's get into the game preview. So it's, I I can't, I can't wait for real football on Saturday. Not that it hasn't been enjoyable over the last couple of months, but it's not the same. A game that not only a game that matters, the only game that matters, because without, without a win Saturday, that's it. The season is done. This will have been our last pregame walkthrough podcast. That'll be the last time, you know, we sit in the stadium watching the Argos for this year. Um, It's a huge game. And I I love that. Sorry, go on
1: no i i do think like you know we talked about i i do think you have to make the great cup i don't i don't think you have to win the great cup to validate the season but i do think you have to make it i think if you make it it locks the season in at a different place than not making it so i i do think this is an important kind of you know um the, the, the season is there and if they make the great cup now the season is you know in stone or laminated or whatever your analogy would be
0: in stone you know, is but, better than laminated
1: <laughs> well <laughs> don't knock how good something looks when it's laminated <laughs> um right. you know so uh you know it, it I I think making the great cup is really big I really do I think it 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 Locks in all of their achievements as as a unit as a team. So I, I really think that's huge.
0: I love the fact that fans have responded with ticket purchases for this game. The fact that you've got a, a potential sellout at BMO Field is amazing. I I, I think it's I, it's probably not quite close enough now. Three days away for it to be a sellout, but it is going to be close. Like they've now opened up tickets. So just if you haven't looked recently. The entire lower bowl is sold. Every ticket is gone, and that includes the newly opened section in the north end zone. So north end zone sold out, south end zone sold out. East side, west side lower bowl, both sold out. The west side upper deck is also sold out. All that remains is the upper deck on the east side, which for most games isn't even open, and it is more than half sold out now, and it's it, they're now... They've opened up everything for ticket sales, except for the last six rows. As I look at this now, we record this late Wednesday night. That's it. And so it is going to be a packed stadium. We're talking about 25, 26,000 people in there. JB, we know how loud it gets when there's 12,000, 14,000. If this 25,000 has the same capacity for volume that the regular 14 do, uh, this is going to be a really tough place for Montreal to play on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be incredibly loud. Um, and, you know, it's it's a well-built stadium for volume. And like I said, I, uh, when I watched Canada clinch the World Cup spot, it was like something out of ancient Rome. You could hear <laughs> the stadium from 500 meters away. Uh, I'm really excited. For anybody who has not been there, when that place is packed, it is, uh, it is really a well-designed. And the metal stands with the banging, it is, yeah, it is, it is impressive. And I think it will make a difference. It's going to be like an 80-20 Toronto crowd. It's going to make a difference. It's going to make a difference on third down. It's going to make a difference in the in the red zone. Um, it, yeah, it's good. It's great. I, I mean, I I think it. That's what you play for for home field. And you know, Montreal had it against Hamilton, and they're going to face uh, an even stronger version of it.
0: The weather looks pretty good for Saturday as well. The last two East finals, uh, it has not been great weatherwise. It hasn't rained or anything like that'd be the worst. But it, it is snowed, snowed one year. Was I it? think it snowed in both. Like it snowed last yeah. year. They definitely did the year before.
1: Yeah, they they were not. Yeah, they were not delightful days. But
0: but this one looks like it's going to be okay. It's there's a potential for it to even be in double digits at kickoff, uh, and then it's going to obviously get cooler as as uh, the the sun goes down. Um, but yeah, this is this is just setting up to be the perfect environment for the game, and you just hope the wind stays away because you don't want weather to be a factor in this game. You want, especially if you're Toronto. If Toronto is the better team. I don't think there's any arguing that. You don't want weather to be an X factor and to cause problems. You want the game to be settled by by skill, by players, uh, not by weather conditions. So it's shaping up to be good in that regard. All right, JB, it's time for your favorite segment and mine, OCDC. OCDC. <laughs> OCDC is brought to you by The Business Barbershop and Spa. They invite you to experience Etobicoke's premier licensed men's grooming lounge for hair, face, and body care, celebrating 10 years in the Kingsway. They're just steps from Royal York Station. If you need a haircut, you decide you wanna shave, you want both, you wanna combo it up, get a scalp massage while you're at it. They've got everything that you need. Go to Royal York Station, it's just a few steps. Go on in, The Business Barbershop and Spa, you will not regret it. Great place to get your haircut. Love getting a shave there. Uh, love doing the uh, scalp massage too. That was that was a, a first for me. Uh, and so that was pretty cool. So definitely check it out. All right, JB. Uh, I will start it off with Montreal's offense. So if I'm scheming for Montreal, I, I think, and this this probably goes with saying with with all three positional groups. Montreal's offense, defense, special teams. They've got to they've got to empty uh, empty the box like everything that they've got because they're They're the inferior team. There's no way around that. Doesn't mean they can't win. They can win this football game. They almost beat Toronto twice in the three times they played. This is a very good Montreal Alouettes football team. That said, Toronto is better at almost every positional group on the the team. And they're certainly the better offense. I think they're the better defense. And I think their special teams play has been better. And so You have to take some chances. And so for me, I don't think Montreal can just get out there and do their thing, play their game. I think if they do that, they lose. I think it's got to be different. And so number one, they've got to go against their tendencies. And so... If I'm Montreal, I know they ran a lot of screens in one of the three matchups, like like 15 screens that they ran. I like the idea of going back to that, but I think you run them in different situations, uh, situations where you don't normally run screens and try and catch Toronto off balance a little bit. Second and four, uh, where you're calling uh, jailbreak screens. Um, I, I don't mind screens on in first and tens. I don't mind even opening up with a screen. I don't think you have to set it up necessarily because this team has been watching Montreal film for weeks, I'm sure now. And so... Uh, that's that's how I want them to mix their screen game in. But I also think you have some trick plays. I would like to see Montreal run a halfback option pass. I think that anything you can do to put pressure on the Toronto secondary in terms of communication deep hasn't happened for a while. But we have seen busts in the Toronto secondary previously. And I think you need those home runs. They... Montreal hasn't done a lot of deep passing really all season. Uh, there's a few shots here and there, but they're not able to do it consistently. Uh, instead, it's picking away, throwing underneath. And Hamilton did a pretty good job of taking that away this week. I think Toronto's going to have a, last week, I mean, Toronto's probably going to have a similar strategy. I think Montreal's got to go over the top. I think you have to just throw it up. And sometimes when your guy's covered, just take a shot anyway, throw it up to Mac see if you can draw a flag, get Mac to make a play, because you're gonna need to catch breaks. So I know it doesn't sound like much of a plan, but I think that's sort of what you're left with here. Go against your tendencies, halfback option, trick plays, screens in unconventional situations, and launch it deep and uh, see if you can catch a break, see if you can connect on a couple of deep touchdown passes. Cause you convert a couple of those and I think you're in the game. JB, what does the Montreal defense look like for you?
1: Yeah, uh, I think it'll be interesting. You know, um, I I don't think blitzing works. It hasn't shown to work. I don't think that's how you can get a Kelly. Um, I think, you know, obviously Montreal's defense, adding Sankey and Lemon uh, are a different defense in the last month and that, you know, they were two, two of the primary reasons that Montreal won that playoff game. So that changes things a little, but I still don't think... Blitzing is the way. I think for Kelly, you want to have deep players. and I, I honestly, for me, um I'm running a lot of cover one um just because I think the cover one is better. I think even in cover three guys are 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 getting beat on on route on zone beaters, and Kelly's still able to get them downfield um with seams. Uh, I I like cover one. I think cover one is really good against Kelly and reading the quarterback. He wants to throw deep and you keep that safety, you know, way back, just reading what they see. I, I probably come cover one and I am run blitzing. Um, the question is, can you run blitz for four quarters? Teams, teams get gassed. Run blitzing is a lot of work for those big dudes on the line. They are not built for that game. You know, it is hard to run blitz the whole game um, as evidenced by, Toronto's fourth quarter uh, effectiveness running the ball so that that's really the question um like defensively can you hold up against a run for four quarters um and then can you force Kelly to to throw that ball downfield and you know Montreal has a very good single high um you know Hamilton used it against uh Toronto I thought effectively I still think that's probably there is you're you're looking to to, to have that safety um, hang back and and look for Kelly who wants those dagger plays. You you just have to take the dagger plays away and make Kelly throw the ball 12 times for a touchdown.
0: I like that plan. I it, It's easy to say, like, a couple of times on here where you've come up with a great plan for OCDC, but it's like, can you actually execute that, right? Because Toronto's, they're so good at countering things. And so, when Shad Kelly has been made to be patient, sometimes he just has. And sometimes guys just, have made plays anyway, and, and they, if you they look make it at work.
1: Toronto, though. Like, yeah, like there's not many teams you can play cover one. Like, you could never play cover one against BC.
0: No, you'd get scorched. Although, yeah,
1: but, but you can against Toronto. I really do. I think not not every play, but I think you can play a lot of one against Toronto. I think you can take that stuff away. It's one of, it, it, it has been a Toronto, um, not, you know, I guess weakness, you know, the receivers are not burners, Um, you know. So I, I, I do think you have it's more of an opportunity than you normally
0: would. It's so dangerous, though. They have such good route runners. Like someone, I can't remember who it was. Someone tried to play cover one against, and maybe it was BC. It was early in the season, one of the early season games. Someone played a ton of cover one and Chad threw for like 400 yards. And and guys just beat their man. They just ran really good routes. Chad's so accurate. That's That's the problem with... With cover one against a, a quarterback as accurate as Chad Kelly, you don't need to get that open. And then if your guy makes a play, you better now make that tackle. Otherwise, it's going like it's it's such a dangerous uh, defense to play. But I, I like it again. It fits the the mold of like put it all out there. So I I, I like this from you because I think you have to take chances Like for what are you what are you waiting for? So if. Playing cover one is going to allow you to, to send more heat or to play well, a style yeah. of defense up front, then, then do it.
1: And if you watch, you know, Toronto has not shown, like like obviously cover one is a huge problem against screens. Um, Toronto has not shown a lot of te- interest in, in running a ton of screens. Um, Kelly, you know, look, cover one is also a problem. If your quarterback runs. It'd be interesting to see if Kelly punishes them. They do try and run that with some runs Uh, they don't tend to run that Toronto kind of checks the boxes of teams you could run it against and obviously not going to stay in cover one every down, Um, but I, I do think they they check the boxes of a team that you would that you would like to run cover one against.
0: Switching to the good guys here, you've touched on a couple of the things that I've got in my notes for what I want Toronto to run on offense. And it's it's like what you're saying. I, I want Chad Kelly to run. I want Toronto yeah. to run screens. I think these are going to be there and they haven't shown them a lot. But that, that's the first thing. Like for, just like I said with Montreal, where you're, you're emptying the, the box. With Toronto, who knows what they've been working on in the lab for the last two months? Something. Something. We don't know what it is. I would I would expect and I I absolutely hope from Toronto that we don't see a single play we recognize on Saturday. They've had two months to come up with stuff that they can work on in practice and never once have to put down on film. And that's the stuff I want to see. If they come out on on Saturday and just run the same offense they've we've been watching for the last six weeks, it's gonna be very disappointing. I don't think there's any chance that happens. There've gotta be wrinkles off of things, there's gotta be stuff that was set up. Over the last six weeks, or set up off the first um, what twelve weeks of the season before Toronto clinched the the playoff spot, that's all got to come out now. And so we don't necessarily know what that's going to look like, but that's what I want to see. It. I want to be surprised a lot. I've watched every snap of every Toronto game this season multiple times. I should get tricked, and I, I'm hoping for that. If if that's if that doesn't happen then I think there's a bit of a disappointment because there was a real opportunity to come out with entirely new stuff, really a couple games worth of it um, if need be. So that's what I wanna start with. But getting into some specifics, I think you gotta run Chad Kelly. We spent all season long talking about how the Argos needed to protect him, he needs to slide. It's the playoffs now, he's gotta do more than that. I just wrote an article on Three Down Nation that you can check out on why BC and Montreal won last week. And it didn't get talked about a lot, but both of those quarterbacks, neither of whom are particularly runners this season. Fajardo is more of a runner than than Adams, obviously. But but he, this year, he didn't run the same way that he did in like 2019. They're both pass first quarterbacks who were being protected all season long. And both of them set uh, season marks for rushing uh, in this week because you, you turn the safeties off. You're now... Um, engaging in a way that you haven't all season and if if the other team is going to try and take something away so in that Montreal Hamilton game Hamilton was was taking away the pass they were they were dropping guys deep there was nothing open standback had his yards but what they weren't counting on was Forjado running for a billion yards and NBC Vernon Adams had one rushing touchdown all season and was averaging like 18 yards rushing per game suddenly he runs for uh, like 54 yards and three touchdowns and that was something they weren't expecting chad kelly's got to give his version of that he's uh at, at least uh, as as fast an athlete as as adams and fajardo uh, if not more and He's got great instincts for rushing. He's great at climbing up in the pocket and taking off. This is a game where we have to see that. I want a lot of rushing yards from Chad Kelly. I want to see screens. I think that if if Montreal does turn to cover one, I think you're going to catch them uh, there. I also want to see heavy, deep concepts. You've got the pass protection to hold up. And I think in watching, I was trying to figure out like what Montreal's front is going to look like. I think it's actually going to look a lot like Calgary's front against BC. Montreal showed a lot of that against Hamilton last week. So they're basically running a 3-4. So you had your three down linemen, four linebackers, and that allows them to use uh, Beverett, uh Avery Williams, along with Sankey. Um, and... Um, oh, it's the rookie whose name has slipped my mind now. Uh, Stubblefield. Uh, so it would have all, all four of those guys basically tuned in on the running back and and stopping the run. But then as soon as they repass, they fan out. If that's the look that you're going to get, then you have to punish them with delayed runs and quarterback runs and stuff like that. But you also are, know that you can probably hold up on the offensive line for a little while. If it's only going to be a three-man pressure, you've got five plus a running back in the block, send guys deep let's see verts. let's see concepts that have multiple deep routes and really test their discipline downfield because they haven't really had to defend against that for a long time so that'd be another plan that i want to throw in there so run lots of chad kelly lots of screens very deep passing concepts and then beat up on that three-man front with delayed runs. It can be, it can be running back draws. Um, it can be slower developing runs, make them come out of that because they're actually pretty good with that set. You don't, you don't really want Montreal to be able to play with those four backers on the field at once because they are among their best players. All right, JB, what is Toronto's defensive plan against uh, Les Alouettes?
1: Oh, uh, <clears throat> I, I don't think you know. I mean, I, I don't think you have to be terribly exotic. Um, you have to keep Fajardo from getting free first downs. Um, I, I do think on on second down you might do a little spying. I know, like um, we talked about. I really enjoy the the NFL. Um, Defense version of the sort of the double spy where the, you know, you have a three man line and the two ends are are mirroring the quarterback um, used against Josh Allen. I really like that look of, of keeping the quarterback in the pocket on second down. Um, like
0: second and long. And just to interrupt you, the place I actually saw that first was BC against uh, Trey Ford uh, for the season where you basically got two guys that are bracketing the quarterback as spies. It's just a creative way. It's it's using up personnel, but I do like that as a creative way to keep the yeah, quarterback Yeah, I mean, running. not
1: always, but I think you do have to keep the pocket. You, I think the game is going to come down the discipline. You have to maintain your edge. You cannot let him uh you know you can't you got to keep your lane discipline you can't just let him move up in the pocket and then run for 10 yards um if if they keep Fajardo under 30 yards rushing i think they win by 20 um you know Fajardo is an accurate quarterback um uh, they they do a lot of misdirection they do a lot of motion a lot of eye candy to to kind of see what the defense is doing but I think that Toronto's defense is is multiple enough and complex enough that, you know, that that sort of stuff is not going to work as well. And I think Toronto has shown they can play that 10 yard and in uh, really well. Um, you know, they're a little bust weary, I think, Toronto, but Fajardo is not a bust quarterback. Like he is not a throw the ball down the field. Um, so I like the matchup. I, I really do. I think I think that they can get to him. Uh, defensively, Like I think they have the ability to turn on those sacks when they want to. And I think they will. Um, so like defensively, um, you know, we're, you, you want to really concentrate on the 15 in yards and in take away those free first downs, take away those passes for six yards, uh, be all over that. And if, you know if Fajardo throws three touchdowns over 40 yards then you know you can tip your cap but that that's what you're offering him if you'd like to throw the ball 40 yards then we would like you to do that Mr. Fajardo
0: All right it is time for one thing my one thing ties into what I was talking about in OCDC I want 40 yards rushing from Chad Kelly minimum I, I and I do think he's going to be the difference in this game I think it, it will be his arm that makes the difference but it's in turning over those sticks and converting those those first downs. Like when you're second and nine and everything's kind of breaking down, and you're like, uh-oh, it looks like the Argos are gonna be punting. And then he breaks through and runs for 13, 14 yards. He's, I think you're gonna see him do that. And I think that's a must for Toronto. Uh, I think you're, you have to see the sort of uh, full uh, version of Chad Kelly, not the one that has been protected all season long, and rightfully so. I'm not criticizing that. But now it's the playoffs. It's time to to show everything. And so, yeah, Chad Kelly, forty or more rushing yards. What's your one thing, JB? Uh,
1: my one thing is to see a combined rushing under ninety yards. So quarterback, running back. If that's under ninety, I think Toronto wins comfortably. I think that's the goal. Um, you know, passing errors have been shown to mean almost nothing uh, defensively or in terms of winning games. I think you have to keep, stand back under control and you have to prevent um, first down conversions from Fajardo with his feet. And if you do that, um, I think that you're going to, uh, you're going to be playing in Hamilton.
0: How does this one end? Who wins? What's the score?
1: Uh, I like Toronto and I like Toronto big. Um, You know, I I think Toronto is the better team. Uh, I think they have more talent. I think they're at home. I like
0: Toronto 28-17. It's pretty similar to my score. I do think there is going to be a little bit of late stress. And we've seen a few games against Montreal, not just this year, the last few years, where it's come down to the wire and a game that felt like it was well in hand. Suddenly you're like, Ooh, Montreal could find a way to win this. I think there's going to be a little bit of that at the end, even though Toronto, I, I think, will will dominate for most of the game. I think we're talking about a one-score win. And so I've got Toronto 28, Montreal 22. And Montreal, maybe with the ball at the very end, down six. Um, and suddenly that stadium getting a little bit stressed out. That's kind of the way I see that happening. But uh, I could, you know, I could completely see it the other way too. Toronto uh, Toronto has no business losing this game. Anything can happen in CFL football. And I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked if Montreal won this. I'd be surprised, but not as much as shocked. Um, Toronto's just got to take care of business. They are the better team. They've had all sorts of time. They're healthier, rested. They've got every possible advantage playing at home on their turf. Uh, Everything's going their way, but weird things happen in the CFL. Toronto should win. I just think it's going to be tight. All right, JB. It is time for our CFL picks. Uh, we've already picked <laughs> Toronto for our uh, one game, leaving only one game left. And you, you had another. You were two and zero last week, were you? I think I you were and two and zero.
1: Didn't didn't count. but no, sort of like and my I was title one and already two. Already I've, I've in stone and yeah, I've the, the engraving on the trophy already completed. So
0: laminated, laminated trophy. <laughs> So uh, that leaves us with one other game. Uh, who do you like? BC at Winnipeg. And it's not going to be freezing cold. It's not like it's minus 20. Uh, I think we're talking about minus three at kickoff. Uh, who do you like in that one?
1: You know what? I This is wish fulfillment. I want BC to win. I want BC to be in the Grey Cup. I think that that's a more interesting Grey Cup. I do not wish to play Michael O'Shea in the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. <laughs> uh, I think BC is feeling really good. I think they have a lot of weapons. I think that they can beat Winnipeg, and I think that they will. I like uh, BC to win uh, 35-31.
0: That's a a nice one. That sounds like a pretty exciting game, too. Uh, We'll be probably recording our post-game podcast during that game, so we'll have to watch it on on, uh, replay. But uh, yeah, that sounds like it's going to be a good one. I think it's going to go similarly, too. I think the score is going to be just about that. I think Winnipeg ends up winning, though. I think the home stadium is enough of an advantage. That game like a month ago, I've been talking about it ever since then, it decided things. If BC had won in their last regular season matchup, they would have been hosting this game, and I would have picked BC in a dome at home. BC's receivers are so hard to cover, and try and stay on uh, Mizell uh, while you're doing that Uh, is just too tough, but outside... Vancouver is like the only CFL city that doesn't seem to get cold weather. I think that does factor into it. I know it's not freezing, freezing, but minus three is still not Vancouver. And I just think that is enough of a difference. That home crowd is going to be hyped up too. I'm like you. I hope BC wins because I just want to see a different matchup. I'm kind of, Winnipeg's been amazing. I'm tired of watching them in the Grey Cup. And so I'd like to see a BC Toronto Grey Cup. Um, but even a BC Montreal, a great cup would be more interesting as well. So And,
1: to, now, and like, to, to be honest, I think Toronto matches up better against Winnipeg. I think Toronto has a better chance in the great cup against Winnipeg. I, I don't think this is me, you know, this is just me hoping for a great game in the great cup. But I, I I do think BC is is more of a problem for Toronto. So it's interesting.
0: Yeah, I can't really disagree with you. I, I think, but now BC also... Rolls zeros sometimes too, right? They have they have some terrible games, but I think when BC's on, they're really tough to stay with. And if it's one of those days where they're just on fire, nobody can beat BC. But um, that's for another conversation because Toronto has to get there first. But yes, yeah, indeed. I think I think the Argos win this week, and I think I, I think Winnipeg holds off the Lions uh, in the evening game. Well, that will just about do it for us on this pregame walkthrough episode of the Exes and Argos podcast. We will see you at something in the water brewing in Liberty Village pregame, noon to three, and then of course, kickoff at three o'clock at BMO Field. If you haven't yet bought your tickets, make sure you do. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see you.